Welcome to this week's edition of Two Men in the Middle, where two men in the middle of the heartland pontificate about politics, world events, and everything in between. I'm Brandon Kinnig. I'm Craig Huey. Craig, let's start this week with talking about the uh, legal issues surrounding Mm. Trump. He received several legal setbacks this week in the courts. His legal team on multiple fronts are trying to either get cases moved or thrown out. One of the big items that came to light in Georgia with the Fannie Willis uh, case regarding election interference, he attempted to have Fannie Willis taken off of that case. The Georgia Supreme Court denied that request, so that— expected indictment, which is supposed to drop any day now, um, and there's a window between now and about mid-August, will continue to um, go to hearing and trial stage at this point. Yeah, it's been a bad week legally for Trump. I I think Trump lost on every front that he's battling on legally. The E. Jean Carroll case, the the judge came out and said, no, you can't have another trial. No new trial there. The Manhattan case, he tried to have that moved to a different venue. That was rejected. There were a couple of other things. Like you said, he just randomly asked the the Georgia Supreme Court to throw out a case that Fannie Willis. That was just an absolute Hail Mary and had no, no legal argument to that. But Trump really isn't making ground anywhere legally. I think the biggest thing that happened this week for Trump with his with his existing cases, we'll talk about the new one, but mm-hmm. the existing cases down in Florida, the judge said, listen, there is no legal basis for me to suspend this trial indefinitely and wait until after the, the presidential election. Well, it's so true. You're going to trial. His then. legal team asked for it to start November, late November 2024, like after the election. No. Like the, so that's not going to happen. Now, the judge also expressed hesitation that they could move as quickly as starting in December, which is what the prosecution yeah. asked. So, but it does sound like it'll be somewhere between those two extremes, and I think. Trump knows this because he's been in court his whole life. You don't get one big delay. Your delays come a little bit at a time. Right. So I think the judge will end up pushing that and trying to get that started somewhere in January, February of 2024, but it's going to delay out from, from there. And you do hit some point with that to where... I guess you're not going to stop the trial, but you can't be an effective campaigner if you've got three different court cases that you're trying to battle at one point in time. Oh, not at all. And so, and we know that that case is going to move very slowly just because of the sensitive classification of the yeah. documents, the the nature of bringing that to trial and what that entails. Uh, unlike, I think, the um, Georgia case, which will move faster, and even um, the other new case, which we can talk about soon, that's also underway, and the Manhattan case to some degree since that and, started And with earlier. the Florida documents case, that that's that's the case that legally, there's just no way around the obstruction charges. Yeah. You might be able to, to, to maneuver your way through the document possession itself. Like, for example, the doc with uh, the Iranian attack plan that he's waving around on the tape, they don't yet have that document. So there are some 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 wiggle room and some areas where you could present a defense to some of that. But the obstruction stuff, the lawyers know. It's, there, there's really no way around It's pretty around cut that. and dry. It's the most, yeah. I think, cut and dry of all the cases, you know, before any of the courts that he has at this point. Um, probably followed up by the Georgia case, which is also very strong. Yeah. And then um, the upcoming um, DOJ case involving January 6th. And then lastly, I think the Manhattan case, which again is yeah. much more technical and, and something that's more ambiguous. But the the new case, the January 6th case that, that Smith is has given him the target letter on, typically it seems like it's seven to 10 days once the target letter goes out where the indictment, indictment happens. Yeah. The target letter is basically, it's an invitation 
for him to come to the uh, the uh, um, grand jury and give testimony to the grand jury. Now, Trump is not going to do that because it doesn't work in his favor. Most people that get indicted don't don't end up talking to the grand jury before before the indictment. Right. But that's going to happen sometime in the next couple of weeks. This is this is one of the ones that really puts Trump in jeopardy, I believe, for the presidency. The the Florida case around the documents, there's some arguments to be made that what really did he do? He didn't sell these off to, to the Russians. He didn't give these to enemies. Yes, he was wrong. Yes, he obstructed. But if you look at the end of the day, what was the actual output or outcome of the, of him having those, those documents? And there's a case to be made where, yes, he obstructed. Yes, that's wrong. But in the end, what really happened? Same thing with Alvin Bragg in New York. Big deal. He paid Stormy Daniels. Stormy Daniels has been paid for sex acts before. What What are we doing with this? This is the one that if they can make something land and make something stick, this is the one I think that can take Trump out of the presidential race in 2024. This all depends on what evidence does Jack Smith have, if any, that we have not yet seen through either a media release or through the January 6th committee. There are two charges, I think, on this with, with what happened January 6th that are no-brainers and can move forward fairly easily. One of them is obstruction of a government process. That seems pretty straightforward that he was trying to obstruct Congress from going ahead and completing the count and, and completing the election process. The other is attempted to fraud the United States government. That's with these fake electors. And he did that right out in public. Oh, yeah. That he, he did, there's, no, scheme, yeah. there's no discovery to this. He told people that, hey, you shouldn't send what's real. I really won because all of these fake potential votes. Go ahead and send, send these in. And as an ancillary to that, the Michigan Attorney General announced yep. charges against the fake electors in Michigan uh, who are affiliated with the Republican Party who met in a basement and, uh, and went forward with the claim that Trump had actually won in that state, again, trying to get the results overturned. And Did have you Trump see a picture of those 16 people? I didn't see the photo, no. All middle class, all white people. Uh, all I know surprising. is if Jack Smith needs anything out of those people, he's going to get it. Because those people will roll over to try to avoid any type of, of criminal prosecution or... or, or oh, yeah. Time. I mean, as they should. I mean, I think self-survival so kicks in at that point. Those two charges seem self-evident and fairly non-arguable. I mean, I don't think anybody could argue that Trump, his intent was to obstruct Congress from completing the the election process. Right. And I don't think you can say he didn't try to default or defraud the United States government where he actively encourages encouraged people to commit fraud at the state level and send in these electors. So I think those two things, just like the, the Florida case, they're kind of given and that's our baseline to work with. Now, what are the stretch goals maybe for, for Jack Smith? What are the stretch charges that puts this in, in the insurrection level? This is where unless he unless Smith has some sort of new piece of evidence that directly ties Trump to people that were there on the sixth, where he is directly in telling them, asking them, or instructing them to commit violence or to continue to push into the Capitol, that charge is just a bridge too far. So I guess what I'm saying is, yes, there are basic charges here around obstruction um, and fraud that are going to move forward. But the real itch that most people want scratched is how do we get to the insurrection charge? And if you're going to get there, we're going to have to have some new piece of evidence that Trump directly was in contact with people and directly made request of their actions at the Capitol. Which we may, if I read correctly, I think um, one of 
Governor Doug Ducey of Arizona, former yeah. governor, was subpoenaed to testify. Again, one of the ones that Trump um, leveraged a lot of pressure to try to overturn results. But, uh, but yeah, I think that'll be key is to know what the charges are and then the evidence to back that up, what audio exists, what communications occurred, yeah. all of that. So we need a text, a tape, or multiple people to give evidence. For example, that Trump reached out to that dude from the Oath Keeper, Stuart, one eye, whatever, the guy with the patch who shot yeah. himself, who's going to jail for like 18 years, and send him a text and say, hey, don't be afraid to bust some heads that day. Or I need you at the Capitol, and I need you to put pressure on these people now. Without that kind of direct evidence, it's going to be difficult to make that to, to make that leap. Or if he had any communication with like the organizers, any of the organizers yep. of January 6th in terms of you know, setting in motion, like the language to use or how to market it, like to, to rile people up. I think that may come into play. And what's interesting here, too, is Rudy Giuliani, according to his lawyer, did not get a target letter. Remember, two or three weeks ago, Rudy Giuliani had his king for the day moment with yeah. the DOJ, where that's you walk in and anything you tell us about, you are completely not touchable for. So who knows what, what he did? There is a chance that they can meet that threshold. This comes into play because if they can meet that threshold, now we're squarely in 14th Amendment territory. 14th Amendment is one that came around in like 1868, post-Civil War, basically designed to keep people who were in the Confederacy from running for federal government. Right. This is the one that says if you're found guilty of insurrection or uh, giving aid to the enemy or stuff like that, you, you can't run for office. So if you can make that leap into that insurrection by tying Trump directly to some of these people, now you've got another avenue to keep him from the presidency. Will it get that far? No, I have no idea. We don't know. Yeah. It might. I mean, the, certainly the path to get there has been, has been laid out. Brandon, the most interesting thing that I want to see of these, of these new round of January 6th um, uh, indictments is how deep do they go into the fundraising? I mean, Trump raised $250 million in the weeks after January 6th. Are we going to try to get into any type of fraud case against Trump? Are we going to get into anything where it's like, hey, he knew the election wasn't wasn't stolen. He knew this money wasn't going to pay for uh, his criminal defense, and he knew this was going in his pocket. Well, that would be an entirely different case with a yep. different set of charges, right? But I could definitely see that because there was a massive amount of money raised, and it uh, and there's so much of it that what we don't know, you know, who was donating, what the, you know, and in terms of fraud, we do know that there was a lot of shady tactics employed yep. by the Trump campaign in terms of doing reoccurring donations, you know, with people's accounts. Yep. And, uh, and, uh, I don't know if that was ever settled. I do know that they ended up having to reverse some of those charges because it became a big headache for the campaign. The biggest problem that Jack Smith has in this case, this is an intent crime. You have to get into his Donald Trump's intent. What did he intend to do that day? Well, and Trump, for, uh, I mean, years has been very careful about walking up to the line, but not no, crossing it. He's I mean, an expert at this. He's good at saying enough to, like, give the signal, like, wink, wink, nod, nod to people under him to, to do 
to engage in criminal behavior without directly saying it, which kind of keeps him yeah. safe. Uh, but again, um, provides that uh, just free rope for you know the, his um, lackeys to go and do all kinds of things. So that, I think that's going to be the challenge: is again finding that um, smoking gun, yeah. so to speak, in terms of him saying something directly or you know providing cause to all of this. Brandon, do you think financial fraud would? make any difference with his base do you think if if this case has a large section that talks about hey that 250 million generated was all a grift and he knew he didn't lose the election and here's how he got that money and here's what he's been spending it on if if we center up that one issue for trump's base and kind of show that hey this is in some ways this is part of a this has all been part of a grift for trump does that impact in any way that the legal stuff doesn't with his base, no, I don't. With think his base, so. now again, I think it could hurt him in many other ways, and I, obviously in a general election. But with his base, I don't know that it does. I feel like, I mean, there's so many examples, prior examples of smaller level grift that has it made a dent in what he's True. doing. I mean, the tax fraud case with the Trump Organization, the Trump University case. I mean, you can go back. I mean, there's so much grift. That's true. It hasn't broken through. I don't know that this necessarily would. Uh, And I don't know that, again, that people would connect the dots, particularly his, you know, strongest supporters in terms of seeing this grift and then, you know, that it was perpetuating a lie and then say, okay, we were wrong the whole time about Trump winning. I think that there's so much that they've already bought into in terms of the big lie. I think it's almost nearly impossible to reverse that. I I mean, I think I don't think the financial argument would do that. So there's no doubt that Trump got a got a bump from Alvin Bragg. And that makes some sense because yeah. I, I think we both agree Alvin Bragg that that's a stretch. That's something that seems does seem pointed directly at at Trump. The the documents case out of Mar-a-Lago is more serious. I think you saw a slight uh, you saw a bump when he got indicted, but then you've seen that bump kind of dissipate. It's not dragging him down, but he, he did receive kind of a, a spike in his polling, but that spike wasn't wasn't huge and it wasn't really that that sustained. Do you think the same thing happens with this indictment or is there some different dynamic in play with Trump's polling numbers when it comes to this indictment? I think there'll be a different uh, dynamic involved with this polling indictment. I don't expect to see a bump just because I don't think Republicans may try to find some creative defenses on the Hill in terms of uh, coming out in support of him, but they're not going to be able to use the same line of attack that they did with Alvin Bragg, saying that this is a process crime. It's rarely, if ever, prosecuted. You know, this is they're going after him for something that's minuscule. They they can't do that with these other charges as effectively. They just can't. So they the only thing they can recycle is saying that, you know, this is Biden's DOJ mm-hmm. run amok and he they're persecuting him, but they can't actually provide a sustained defense as to why or ex- explain it in a way I think they could with the process crime where even reasonable people could go, okay, I can kind of see that. And case in point is even with Alvin Bragg and Diamond, you had people like Mitt Romney and others that mm-hmm. said, we think this is a little bit too far. It's yeah. kind of far-fetched. You're not going to have the Mitt Romneys and the Lisa Murkowskis and Susan Collins doing that with these. I mean, they're not going to come out and defend Trump. Um, and I think there's other people that would be likely to defend him that are going to stand down and, and just not um, not 
put their necks on the line for him in this case. If you're Jack Smith, Brandon, if you can, if you can barely make the insurrection case, and I'm, I'm not sure what I, what I'm trying to say is. Okay, you're Jack Smith, and you you can get there on insurrection, but you don't get you don't get all the way there. Let's say you've got some evidence. Yes, there is. There's evidence of communication between Trump and let's say the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers on that day, but it's not as direct as saying, "Hey, if you got to beat some people up today, I, I don't give a shit." That that's here what I'm here to do. Yeah. Do you still push that if you're Jack Smith? Do you think Jack Smith has a line in his head that he won't cross unless the evidence absolutely makes him? I guess what I'm saying is, how far do you want to push on the insurrection charge if there is not just 100% spot on irrefutable evidence that it happened? Jack Smith is a smart seasoned prosecutor. This was a guy who was based in the Hague for a while prosecuting war criminals. So I I think he is going to have the evidence all lined up uh, as far as the insurrection goes. Like I think if it was even slightly weak, he would not take this forward. So Mm -hmm. I I think we can expect a strong case. I think that there's a lot we probably haven't seen and heard we can expect. I think another just unknown at this point too, which could have a big impact is Mark Meadows who has been interviewed because if Mark Meadows turns on Trump and goes inward and is trying to, you know, fight from self-preservation standpoint, I think there's a lot he knows that would become very useful to Jack Smith's case. And there's nothing in Mark Meadows' past that leads you to believe he wouldn't roll over immediately. No, that's what everybody who knows him says is that yeah. he he will protect himself first and foremost. And I think even going back to his House Freedom Caucus days, like he is all about self-preservation, number one. And I've heard people say, well, don't expect anything new to come out from Jack Smith. You know, we've been through the J6 committee. This has been out there for you know two-ish years now. We know everything. But the well, J6 is not a legal entity. They didn't have the ability no. to um, forcibly subpoena, uh, uh, you know, under threat of imprisonment yeah. to the way like Jack Smith does. And so I think people forget that because they view many times like the J6 committee hearings as a legal proceeding, but they weren't. And the congressional subpoena power isn't backed up by any force and so look at how many people defied the subpoenas yeah, from the j6 committee absolutely. so we didn't get to hear from them this is a whole different matter and the fact is the uh, doj um can leverage um you know threats of imprisonment and and personal prosecutions of some of these individuals if they don't cooperate and so i think that completely changes the dynamic and we found out new things in the mar-a-lago case we did yeah i didn't know about that tape I didn't know he had did that to that to that author, and that was known. So there is a possibility that there's a whole new fact set that comes out around Trump and 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 the sixth. Right. The other thing too, if you're looking for a case that has a clear path to becoming resolved by the uh, by the end of the election, it's this one. There's no classified documents in this case. There's right. nothing to slow this down. Also, too, it's going to be a D.C. case. I was just going to say that. Yeah, very different venue, very different jury, you know. So there's been questions about the Florida jury and whether or not it would be more friendly to Trump. Like, I don't think we would see that with a D.C. jury. Um, D.C. jurors tend to be kind of more familiar, too, with cases involving uh, government officials Mm -hmm. and, you know, who are either on trial or being prosecuted. Um, so yeah, so I think that's another factor here as well. I mean, Trump has less than a puncher's chance against a case like this yeah. in in DC. There's and, just and no. You're going to have unlike 
again, not to put down Florida judges, but D.C. also has a strong bench as well yeah. in terms of judges that understand the law and these types of cases. Um, whereas I think that's really been the struggle in Florida is that there isn't a lot of judges down there, particularly when it comes to classified information. And There's like two security. federal judges that can handle this. Yeah. So, yeah, from just a, a timing perspective with, with Trump and this case, because this case, if it has an insurrection element to it, which I almost think it has to, I mean, from, from my thinking, it's, listen, if we can't make the insurrection on this, the two procedural things, the, the obstruction and the fraud, we're not, we're not going to move forward with those, right. especially with, with Michigan now doing some of that uh, at the state level to punish people who did the fake electors. I think there, there would be a natural kind of, let's just take a step back off this. If we can't get to the big place, let's not, let's not go there at all. If we follow that logic, if he makes the insurrection argument, now the plea bargain for him not running, I think, comes onto the table. Because now you have a legal, you have a legal charge, which directly falls under the 14th Amendment, that if he's convicted of this, this is the charge Democrats will use to, to try to keep him from, from running uh, using a court case to keep him out of it. So I don't, I could see, I could see Trump's lawyers and Trump sitting down saying, if there's a plea to be had, this is the time to make it. But anything in that plea is you're not running. Is that path opened up at all? Or is that just me fantasizing? I think that I think that's still fantasy. I think his lawyers would strongly try to nudge him in that direction. But Trump isn't a rational person, no. and I th- he's not one. Even when he's, you know, b- just being surrounded, and to admit that he was wrong, or he, I think he ve- uh, views plea deals as cop outs, yeah. and he has been able to um, evade justice for so long. I just don't see that he would do that, particularly in the context of a presidential campaign, where I think he's probably under this delusional perception that all he has to do is win the presidency, and then he can make all of this stop and go away. And let's be honest, I mean, one of the, I mean, the reason if he's running is to have some type of shield against all of these prosecutions and all of the, yeah. you know, uh, criminal indictments. Uh, so the path to the presidency has long been an opportunity for him to hopefully shut this all down. I mean, in fact, his own, you know, staff we has can been accomplish outright that public right now, about Donald. That. We can yeah. make this all go away right now. I just, I don't, I mean, again, he, I mean, he could surprise all of us and somehow have a, a moment of, uh, reasonableness and you know rational thought but it's just it's not in his nature if i'm jack smith i sit down i try to sit down face to face with trump and his lawyers and say mr trump i'm just giving you a i'm giving you the biggest gift you can be given right now i am giving you the chip that says look they forced me out of it they came at they they wouldn't let me go back to presidency i'm such a threat they knew what i was going to do they knew i was going to wipe out the, 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 the administrative state, the deep state. They knew that, so they forced me into this deal to make me not run. There's your pivot to launching whatever you want to launch next. Your whole persona is ba- your whole political persona is based off grievance and the fact that the deep state has wronged you. I'm yeah. giving you the biggest wrong you've ever had. Think about what you can do with this, Donald. 
I that mean, would be the you're way to 78 years old. Let's yeah. give you four or five more years to live. I'm throwing a billion dollar idea at you. How much did you piss away on Truth Social? I don't give a shit about that. You want to start Trump TV? You want to start something big? I'm handing you the avenue to do that. Are you interested or not? I, I think there's a, there's a way you could, might be able to present this to that team that they say, at least it's worth a discussion. Yeah, no, I agree. I ju- and so that would be the best way to present it to stoke his ego and to get him to a place where he sees this as the best way out. I always go back to the Mar-a-Lago case. A rational, any other rational person would have just <laughs> given the documents back. Thing. I mean, you would not have continued to hold on to him when the DOJ came at you and said, you have these documents, yeah. we need them back. But I mean, so it really takes a mind that is difficult to comprehend to not only resist that, but to hide it, to engage others, uh, you know, in your employee to end on that criminal act. Like when it would have been so easy, so easy, so easy, so easy. <laughs> I just, what I, I don't like this, but I have predicted the demise of the Republican party for decades. It's finally going to come true. Because no matter how this ends with Trump, it ends with the destruction of the Republican Party. Oh, yeah. I mean, if it's, Trump wins the presidency, the Republican Party's over. Right. It, it, it's done. If he doesn't win the presidency, it's pretty much over. So not saying it's gone for good, but Trump's going to push the plunger down as he walks out of the room and blow everything up. There's no way around that. Is, the Republic, is there any section of the Republican Party that's healthy enough right now to start thinking – what is the next iteration of the Republican Party after this one gets wiped clean by by Trump's actions? The problem is the party has been hollowed out to a great degree. Yep. Um, Ain't part- a lot left to work with. No, especially in the last election cycle. So the institutionalists, the adults in the room, the moderates yep. have all lost their races. Um, so Democrats occupied those seats for the most part. The Republicans who have hung on and won are those that are rabid Freedom Caucus people or Trump acolytes or people who, like um, Elise Stefanik who have pivoted yeah. from being rational and independent to just a, you know, a slavish Trump devotion. So there isn't really <laughs> a lot of options out there. Uh, and most of the other people have just left the party entirely or they're out of politics at the moment. So it re- would really take this like – just grand reemergence of all of these people who were once in the party to return and to do that or to create another party in its wake. So it's just there, even on, if you look at like the RNC level, I mean, they're just, yeah. there's no, there, you can't think of anybody who's really left. Um, it's been this hollowing out. Uh, I mean, you go back to the Bush years and the early Obama years where there was this bench of reasonable yeah. people and there were the thinkers and the people that were you know focused on the future none of those people are there anymore they're, right. they're all gone there's not a left in the on the republican side it's not left on the on the democrat side either i mean no. there's no great bench where where are your next great political leaders coming from so uh november or it would have been october early october of 2020 there was a whole group of former bush um, staffers and cabinet people that signed this letter endorsing Biden. Um, and they were calling themselves like uh, something 43 after 
43rd mm-hmm. president. I forget the little catchy name they came up with, but I was reading down the list of all those names, and many of them I remembered what roles they had and what they did, and many of them had storied political careers mm-hmm. prior to joining the Bush administration. But the one thing about all of those people, and they weren't all very old either. Some of them had been very, very young in the early aughts, the 2000s, but none of them were in politics anymore. No. So I was reading all these names. I'm like, these are all has-beens because they've all left. They've yeah. all like thrown up their yeah. hands. None of them are in the political arena anymore. I mean, so it, it's great to see that they're coming together and saying, hey, like we have to come together and, you know, endorse Biden because Trump is a threat to democracy. But but those are the people that you would still expect to be involved and they're not. And so that's why it's difficult to see like how that rebuilding would happen. It would take a long time. It would. And you're right. There's just not a lot of raw material no. to work with on on either side. Okay, so do you with do you agree with me or do you think that this trial happens before the election? The one six, the indictment that's coming. Hard to yes. say because we don't know the indictment, but I think it kicks off. I think so too. Yes. And so the question will be um how far along at the time of the election. Cause this all gets back to uh, if Trump were to win, like what happens at that point mm-hmm. with these trials that are in motion? Um so there's that aspect, uh, which the only one that he can't, that is not, uh, well, the Georgia one and the Manhattan one are not DOJ. That's so the he big has, one. He yeah. can't out, he can't pardon himself out of state charges. No. And he can't just like with the DOJ replace, you know, the attorney general and, and all of that. What if, what if Georgia convicts his hip, convicts him and says jail time? So that's the big question, right? So the constitutional question, he's president. Like, do we have a sitting president arrested? Like, how does that work? Like, Let's how- say September of 2024, he is found guilty of some charge in, in Georgia. Fraud, yeah. wire fraud, conspiracy, something. And they go to, they set a date in October, uh, let's say, for sentencing. Are you telling me we're going to get right into the heart of the presidential election and we don't know from a state court what type of sentence the Republican nominee may have to That could serve? very well happen. I mean, we would be in completely uncharted territory. How does that work? Do you suspend any sentence until he's not president anymore? What what authority does a state have to pull the 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 head of the executive federal branch? These are all things. But that, and the problem is that is not defined anywhere. So no. there's nothing that prevents it, but there's nothing that explicitly outlines it, and there's no precedent for it. So again, I mean, this would be like many court reviews. I mean, for it to get to a point where we would have definitive answer on what happens. I mean, because that's what I would expect. There'd be a lot of lawsuits. It can make its way all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Oh, the Supreme Court's going to have to decide. It would have to. But even if you back up a bit, I don't understand if you're Trump, and again, 78 years old, how you run a campaign with all of this swirling around you, let alone the time you have to take off to confer with lawyers about these pending cases and and your strategy. I, I just don't know how... He's going to do this. I think where where you and I will never be able to get into Trump's head, and we will never be able to understand what his thought process is. It's when what what's animating Trump, I think, mostly in the twenty twenty four race, and is animating his base is the line, "I am your redemption. I am coming to blow shit up." There's a there's a there's a Christopher Walken 
uh, scene from a movie that that's a famous internet kind of clip. Have you seen the the the, the scene where he he's talking to a guy and the guy has to go out and play pool against like a champion or something, and he gives him "You're the lion" speech. Oh the yeah, the lion sitting there under yep. the tree and everyone's messing with him, and when he that, gets yeah. up, it just tears the shit out of everybody. The one thing that animates Trump to want to tear the shit out of everybody is revenge. I was going to say, what did he also say? I am your vengeance or something. I am your redemption. I am your redeemer. I could have sworn he also said like, I am your vengeance or or something else. Well, he said redemption in a way that he left no real gray area to work. He he didn't say, I am your vengeance, but he he said, I am. I am your vengeance. I am going there back to the presidency. I know all the players Wait, he did use retribution at one point. Did he say? I think uh, he said, I'm your retribution. I am your retribution. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. So he did. He said that and as well. That's what's animating Trump right now. The, he's not thinking. I don't think about anything else other than I want to get in that Scorched presidency, earth. and I'm going to show you what a lion does, and I'm going to eat everybody in my path. He wants to fire all of the civil servants, yep. like hollow out the agencies, replace them with people loyal to him, uh, increase the power of the presidency to a degree we've never seen that would be tested. Yeah. I mean, it would be completely he's not hiding it. levels. No, <laughs> I'm going straight authoritarian on you. Yeah. I mean, that is a path to authoritarianism, what and he is like. All out. of these indictments seem to give his base and sections of the Republican Party seem to justify all of this rhetoric and that approach. I don't, we're in this weird moment where accountability and no normal rules apply to Trump. They haven't applied to Trump since he this came down, time, yeah. since he came down the escalator. And none of his behavior and none of these indictments are having the effect of making people walk away from him. So it's striking. Yeah, I guess we just got to play out the string. God, I don't know where any of this is going, but I do hope something happens and Trump at least at least gives a thought to maybe I should step away from the the, the presidency. I do, too. Like, I'm not confident in that at all, but I hope that happens. No, that it's that not does happening. It, I just hope all of this does have an impact on the election and obviously the eventual outcome because— I mean, if there's one thing I stay at night awake thinking about, it's <laughs> if where we're going to be at in November 2024. I just I can't imagine. Yeah, I, I don't. Let's not let's not go there because that, no. that's just too. It's a very dark place to go. Other presidential candidates. Um, Brandon, Mike Pence raised, I think for the previous quarter, raised one point two million dollars. I was thinking about this, Brandon. I'm pretty sure you could raise over $1.2 million as a demo, as a Republican candidate right. for president. Not having served as VP, yeah. No. Is Pence just totally done? Is this yeah. his? What What are you doing? He had no path since the beginning, so this was mainly a campaign yeah. out of ego, I assume. Like, And he, he probably had a cadre, cadre of advisors who were well-paid, who were telling him— what he wanted to hear versus what they should have told him the truth, because that's what inevitably happens, right? These candidates surround themselves with advisors who puff them up because they want to be part of the gravy train and make money, consulting fees along the way. And they know the campaign isn't going to go anywhere, but let's bilk it for as long as it'll last. And so I think that's what's happening here. But he's not likely to make the debate stage. That's not going to happen. And so his campaign ends, I think. And where we all thought it would. So if Mike Pence came to to Brandon and Craig's big consulting agency for presidential candidates, my first question would be your natural lane, the only lane that you have. And there's really, there's no lane there. We're, yeah. we're, we're making yeah. it up because you really have no path to get there. But if you, if you have to do this for some reason, if you absolutely must run for president, your lane is the guy that kicks Trump in the balls day after day after day. 
And you do it with, you were the insider. You were the person. You were actually the guy holding the guardrails together. That's what you have to do. And if you're not willing to do that, the Brandon and Craig Consultant Agency, we just can't work with you right. because there's just nothing to work with. Do you think Pence has finally gotten that message? I, I Yeah, I think he is. I mean, he's just been very middling and milquetoast trying to... De- Did you see him with Tucker at that stupid TPUSA thing? Oh, I didn't watch that. I, I mean, I read about it online, but uh, no, what happened? Did he well, get... Well, Tucker looks at him and says, well, if you consider yourself a, a Christian leader in the country, what are you going to do about Zelensky arresting priests and, <laughs> and Christians in the Ukraine? And to Pence's credit, puts his hand up to stop him and says, I've been to re- Ukraine multiple times. That's not happening. Yeah. I've asked Good. people about it. It's just not happening. Now, that answer had nothing it's not the crap. I mean, right. USA doesn't want to hear that. No. So he's there just up there being cannon fodder. What's for the point of even Carlson? going before that audience? He's not no going to score idea. any points. They're not going to no. change any minds there. Um, Trump won the straw poll by like 89%. So <laughs> you're right. What What's the point that. of Well, it's the same going? thing with like Asia Hutchison going and some of these others. Like, sure. He was booed there. Like, what are you thinking? Like, you're not going to make up any ground there. Like, your time would be better served speaking to... Asa Hutchinson debating Tucker Carlson about how many vaccines each one of them has taken in front of the TPUSA crowd is the end of Asa Hutchinson. Yeah. Like you said, it was a dumb move going. There was nothing to be gained by it. Why are you? Why are you there? Is that what they actually debated? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. How many shots did you take? Did you take the boosters? Tucker, I didn't take any. Well, Fox required you at the time. Well, I stood up, blah, blah, blah. Just, <laughs> just, just more dumb, dumbness. Yeah. And that's on Asa Hutchinson. You yeah. got to know what you're getting into going, going to that. Yeah. I mean, if he was advised to do that, he was poorly advised. I'll say that. So DeSantis whacked 12 people out of his campaign. And I think is said campaign hey, is hemorrhaging. Right? We're, we're going to cut this from something we are trying to do nationally. I heard he had over seventy five employees. That seems like an awful lot. We're going to cut this down to national to focus on some regional stuff. And then he decided to do some mainstream legacy media interviews. DeSantis did, and last night he was on with Jake Tapper. And from some of the clips that I've watched of this, it was a very normal. Uh, very policy-driven. Uh, DeSantis did kind of exactly and performed exactly the way you would think. He was extremely prepared. He's articulate, didn't stumble over any of his words, sat up straight, had a nice blue suit on, and it accomplished absolutely nothing. Yeah. I don't think DeSantis isn't acting like somebody who's 30 points down in the polls. And I thought he was going to go to CNN, and what he really was going to do is start throwing some some heaters at Jake Tapa. Tapper. What I really thought this was is, hey, I can attack the media just like Trump. And he didn't really accomplish any of that stuff. What is DeSantis's move here? Where, what ground is he trying to get to? In campaign school, when they tell you, start firing people, is the next lesson, you're just fucked and you're just delaying it to the end? Or yeah. what, what, is, what I mean, is the move? It's not a good place to be in. And there's very few people that come back from that. The only person I can think of is John McCain was at that point in 2008 where he basically was running a very tight ship and he had to let people go and then he was able to come back. Again, very different dynamics because you didn't have a case like you do now where you had one person like Trump going away with the nomination who was the former president, you know, was an uh, open race. But so – I, I don't understand. His strategy from the very beginning has been to try to go to Trump's right while um, attracting the uh, high 
dollar mm-hmm. fundraisers uh, from traditional Republicans who were uneasy with Trump and wanted an alternative. But you can't effectively inhabit both of those spaces simultaneously and continue to do so. He did make a statement, uh, just a, a very brief statement about Trump's uh, pending indictment in January yeah. 6th case, saying he would have been more forceful than Trump in condemning. Like, it was the most light, yeah. non you know, groundbreaking Trump's hair and said, you stop right. that now. Silly. Like that, you could have been a little you yeah. know, stronger on that. It was just, so I don't understand his strategy because he's not going for bold. And it always goes back to Trump versus Trump light. Like Trump will always win. Like if you're going to go big, uh, go big and differentiate yourself yeah. from Trump and call him out and say that, you know, you're the actual Republican and you're going to provide stability and you, you may make that case. But he hasn't done that. And he's just kind of floundering along and he can give a great speech and he can go talk about policy. But there's no cohesion to why he is a better alternative than Trump at the end of the day. He hasn't been able to make that narrative. What, what I thought he was doing was he was trying to do what Trump did on CNN. Trump went in on CNN and just owned that town hall, that whatever that was, he was the center of that attention. And he, he was combative with the media. Here's, here's the difference between the two. So in, in one of these exchanges, Jake Tapper has some sort of facts about something, and it's on a piece of paper, and he's like showing it to Ron DeSantis. I forget what it is, but when Trump went to CNN, Trump was the one that had the piece of paper in his hand. He was the one that whipped it out on Caitlin Collins. He was the one that said, no, 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 I don't accept your facts, and the people who follow me don't accept them. I brought my own. We're going to talk about these issues on my terms, and then I'm going to show you and my fans and my base that I still hate the media because I'm going to call you nasty and I'm going to get right back in that. And you saw what happened to Trump after that meet after the CNN town hall. People went apeshit for it. His base loved that. That's what I thought DeSantis was going to do. All DeSantis had was a competent, qualified policy discussion with Jake Tapper. Tell me who in the fuck in the Republican Party wants to hear that. Absolutely no yeah. one. Who is running his campaign? I just don't get what he's doing. To me, this was another missed opportunity. Does DeSantis have that in him? Can he do that? Could he look at Jake Tapper and say you're a nasty person and the media sucks? Well, like I, Trump can I mean, and get he, everybody's he's applause. He's been very combative with the Florida media. I mean, and he yeah. has shut them out and he's shut them down. I mean, many times. So I think he does have that in him. Um, now, I think in terms of like long term thinking to a general election, like, I don't know if it's the best to just be overly combative if you're trying to draw a contrast yeah. between yourself and Trump. I think there's a way to do that, whereas you paint yourself as a stronger, like, effective conservative mm-hmm. when it comes to outcomes uh, versus Trump, who's, you know, very good at bluster and rhetoric, but less so when it comes to actual, like, policy change with impact. But he does have the ability to do that. He's done that frequently in Florida, and that's, I mean, how he's made a name for himself in Florida is by, I mean, in Florida, if you're a member of any of the mainstream publications, you're completely shut out from his press conferences. You don't get to ask him questions. He's just not bringing that same venom to the national media, which is exactly what his base wants. Yeah, I mean, that's what his base wants. I think that 
if they would have given him a venue like they gave Trump where they had just handpicked people that were pro DeSantis inside an audience mm-hmm. to like cheer him on and to boo the moderator, it might have been a little bit different too. I think that was one of the very uh, noticeable things about the Trump town hall is that you had this whole live s- studio audience of people that were all yeah. pro Trump that were engaging and interacting in real time and, and showcasing their emotions and, and uh, Trump feeds off. All oh that. yeah. I mean, it just, he loves that. And I think that helped him to a great degree than if he didn't have that at all. DeSantis has an online image problem and I don't know how, you control this. But if I ever ran for president, I would have one person on my campaign and basically tell them, if any pictures of me get out that are memeable, where I look ridiculous. <laughs> There's so many. Think about um, uh, what's his face in the tank, Dukakis. Yeah. If one of those gets out, I'm going to slaughter the whole team that, that did that. And if I manage to become president, I will put you in jail. I will fall on you like God. Because this is 101. The image of DeSantis, every time I see DeSantis online, it's the same photo. It's him in that dark blue, like denim shirt, jeans, soaking wet, standing there in New Hampshire, where him and his wife were the head of of the parade through the driving rainstorm. And he just looks like, I'd rather be anywhere than wherever I am standing there. I said this to a buddy of mine, and he sent me a photo of, of DeSantis, I think, again in New Hampshire. Have you seen the one where he's got, like, the white rubber boots on? Oh, I did see that yeah. one, yeah. And DeSantis, <laughs> is, DeSantis and I have a similar build. We're short. We're chubby. You put him in a, a, uh, a sweater vest and white boots, and he looks ridiculous. Right. <laughs> Brandon, you're in marketing. You're in internet stuff. You've done campaigns. How? How do candidates still, especially DeSantis, who is online as he is, how do they not understand you've got to control your imagery on the web or you're just going to be you're, – you're, you're, you're dead? Yeah, I, I don't think he has good um, image people around him. No. I just, he's not surrounded by like the top brass when it comes to people in the industry. And I think it's I think really up until now it's been an afterthought because so much of the messaging has been focused on trying to out Trump Trump that they yeah. they're not focused on the aesthetics and the 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 image which they need to be. Uh, and so, yeah, and that's why you keep seeing these photos of him emerge where he looks ridiculous. Um, or, I mean, uh, what the ad that had him in the uh, flight jacket, the the Tom Cruise, yeah, the you top, know, gov. top Gun kind I of thing. I forgot. When they do do imagery, they do stupid it's shit It's over like the that. top, and it just comes across looking dorky and ridiculous. And so there's no, no shortage of images for oppo yeah. candidates to use, like in ads against him. Uh, let alone that, I mean, he doesn't do himself any favors. Any image where he's laughing or has his mouth open. Horrible. He has a very large mouth, and he tends to open it very wide, and he looks ridiculous when he's laughing. Um, So, like, he should never laugh in public, but there's plenty of instances of that happening. Brendan, what what am I missing with Tim Scott? As Republicans seem to really like Tim Scott— Fox News and the Republican media really seems to like Tim Scott. Yeah. Tim Scott to me is just 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 an empty suit. I don't I, I don't see it. W- what am I missing with Tim Scott? I mean, he hasn't been able to break through the mold. I mean, he as a, as a campaigner, he's relatively quiet, so he doesn't yes. have the um, the kind of booming voice or persona of a DeSantis or a Trump. He's much more mild-mannered just in terms of his tone and personality. So I think that kind of hampers his visibility to a great degree. 
And I think at the end of the day, I think most in his campaign know, like, ultimately he's angling for the number two spot I with think Trump. So. I mean, yeah. that's really the the end goal there. Um, and then I think also you compound the fact that he's been a senator, so he can point to some pieces of legislation he's co-authored that have uh, been able to pass. But he doesn't have the same type of track record that somebody like a governor would have, where DeSantis can easily say, I'm your conservative champion. There just isn't much there for Scott to say that with, especially knowing that the last four to six years, I mean, have been like gridlock in the Senate. Uh, There just hasn't been much accomplished at all. So um, he has a very compelling personal story, which he tends to rely on. But in terms of results, they're just he isn't able to rely on that. And he doesn't have the persona that Trump and DeSantis bring as heavyweights. So I just thought about this when you were talking about him running for really running there for vice president. If you're running for is is there a thought process among Nikki Haley and Tim Scott? Or I think are the only two in Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah. Who are three people who squarely, I think, are running for VP. Is, is is their strategy, because I can see Tim Scott's people sitting and saying, listen, one, if you decide to be Trump's VP and Trump wins the presidency and you have to ride through Trump's second term as a VP, your political career is over, right? We, we oh, can yeah. all agree with that. Yep. So that, that's, that's what we don't want to have happen. But it might be worth a shot getting on the ticket as a VP hoping for a meltdown or that Trump steps away and you're just automatically elevated to the top position. And I think there's several of them that are thinking in that vein. So your Nikki Haley's, your Tim Scott's, I think, have that in mind because I think realistically deep down they have to know that outside of that, their chances are just slim to none. They just... We give this a 50-50 shot once you get number two, because you'll probably have to walk away from him at some point. At some point, he's going to do something so ridiculous to to preserve your career, you're going to have to move on. So it might be a a no real risk to somebody like a Scott or a Haley to take the number two slot while they're campaigning, seeing if the weight of his legal problems forces him out and steps in. I think you're right. They're banking on the uncertainty of a court case outcome or an explosive development in one of these cases that just renders Trump completely yeah. unlikely or unable to campaign or to further the nomination, which gives them an opening. Again, it's a big jump and it's a big risk, but they don't have anything to lose really either. So they're like, hey, we'll just see where the chips fall. And I think if, that's what that is. If I'm DeSantis' campaign manager, okay, this interview with Tapper, I want you to do one of three things. And I'll let you pick what it is. One is right in the middle of the of the interview, you jump, stand up, punch Jake Tapper in the face and say, that's what I think of the legacy media. Two, you just literally light the set on fire. You literally bring gasoline with you and you light it on fire. Or three, you just get naked. You have to do something that gets attention, okay? Nobody gives a shit about how competent your policies are. Do you realize the lunatic that you're running against? You To win, let me explain this to you, Ron. You have to get some of the loons that support him to support you. And you sitting here looking like a competent governor ain't cutting it. What you gonna do? Light yourself on fire, punch Jake Tapper, get naked, pick. But we're doing something. We're not leaving. You're not going to sit there for 45 minutes with your hands on your knees and your back straight talking about policy because you've accomplished nothing. Again, he's trying to— just can't do it. He's trying to straddle this untenable ground of being the reasonable policy wonk in the room but also being— 
further more Trumpian than Trump. And again, those are two untenable positions. He can't hold those at the same time. And that's the base problem. is looking right at you. They're saying, not dance monkey. That's all what they're looking for. Entertain me. I'm not here for that. I want to be entertained. The kind of crazy they're looking for is Donald Trump Jr. who just uh, tweeted out, I think yesterday, that if Trump doesn't win the presidency, then it's the end of Western civilization. Like he yeah. actually tweeted that out. Trump so. Jr. is pretty big faker. Right. Uh, so that is the type of crazy you're going up against. Brandon, if I gave you $100,000 cash and bought you a 3,500-square-foot house in Phoenix, would you move? You know, I um, – so I'm going to preface this with a uh, – by saying, first of all, like overall, the present uh, weather – not included. I've long been a fan of the desert and kind mm-hmm. of living there. Like I prefer hot temperatures yeah. to cold. I'm not a cold weather person. Um, I prefer dry heat to humidity. I absolutely hate humidity with a passion. So, I mean, I have actually thought about moving to Phoenix or west of Phoenix, like yeah. desert areas. So um, I'm probably the wrong person to ask about that. Although I will say that what has been going on uh, the last 10 days, Phoenix has now had 19 consecutive days over 100. Most of those have been over, over 110. 110. Over 100, let me, yeah, backtrack. 19 consecutive days over 110 degrees. Like even for me, that longevity of those <laughs> temperatures is too much. I can, I can bear 100 degrees to like 105 in the desert, um, you know, days here and there, you know, maybe days in between 90s. But 110 plus for 19 days in a row, that's just, I can't. That is an all-time record, by the way, for those that haven't been following mm-hmm. the crazy um, climate patterns. Laredo, Texas. Texas has also seen some, like, ungodly yeah. record-breaking temperatures. In just less than 30 days, the town of Laredo has had 10 heat-related deaths. And that's, that's in less crazy. than 30 days. And we saw the rest of the summer. So you have all of this taking place. Iran had a 152-degree heat index this past Monday. Uh, to give you some idea, 160 degrees is considered for a heat index un- not survivable for humans. Yeah, I can't imagine what a 156-degree heat index was like. And then you have... Um, I'm a big fan of like Palm Desert, Palm Springs. I go out there regularly and have friends there. Like they have for eight days now been excessive heat advisory. It's been like 115 to 120 for the actual temperature every day, which is again, much higher than normal for this time of year. So yeah, you have all of this backdrop. And so it's hard to not argue that obviously we're seeing climate change at a level that we have not seen it in our lifetime. I think that, you know, we have had extremes happen in prior years that have been more regionalized. But if you look at just the summer, there is no part of the country that has not been impacted by climate change, whether it's in Vermont, the yeah. excessive flooding that they've had uh, up there. There's record heat waves that have taken over much of the country, even places like Oregon, which are seeing the hottest temperatures they've ever seen. And people in Oregon don't even have air conditioning. They've had to go out and buy it because they're not used to these temperatures. It's been bad. And the, I want to mention that the, for those that did uh, hear about the, I think what really struck me is the Delta flight in Las Vegas that was sitting on the tarmac for four hours. It was 111 outside, which means inside the plane, it was probably close to 120 because it's always hotter yeah. inside the plane. There's no airflow yet because the plane hasn't taken off. So you can't, you know, uh, uh, turn on the air. 
I cannot imagine what it was like to be one of those people. I mean, there were medical emergencies. People fainted. People had to be taken to the hospital. I, I, I We talked about this before. I would get a group of people in the back of the plane, and we would we would have a riot. Yeah. We there, would just tell the people, you can get this fucking plane back to that gate and let us off. We're making weapons back here. We consider this a life or death situation. There is no valid reason for no. them to remain yep. there. And this gets back. This is why we need a passenger bill of rights, because we need federal law that like limits the amount of time that people People would be forced to sit on a plane, you know, especially with those kind of temperatures, but without access to water with, I mean, just brutal, not being able to use the restroom. I mean, it's really kind of insane if you think about it, that we don't have any rules governing that because you see these extreme cases like what happened in Vegas and there's no reason that should have happened. And nothing can compensate for that. So getting a free airline voucher does not make that better. No, a a quick tangent about flying. The the, the thing about flying that they don't, that they talk about is they did a survey a couple years ago of attitudes about flying, but they gave it to the employees of the airlines. (laughs) And what they found is they hate every single passenger. Oh, yeah. They gave the exact same survey to passengers. The mutual hatred between the passengers and the airline is what is what the problem is. Well, and since the pandemic, look at how many, uh, I don't know what do you call them, in-air rage incidents we've seen you yeah. know, with passengers. I, and we thought that was going to go away after pandemic guidelines went away, but it hasn't. It really hasn't let up. There's been just, it's continued, and it's at an all-time high. So that hasn't helped the situation either. What we, about the crazy chick who sees ghost people who got kicked oh, off the plane? Oh, that's right. Who was getting I just up, want you to know yeah. that person's not real or something. <laughs> oh, my Good yeah. God. I I don't look forward to flying because, again, if it's just it's people, it's crowd. It's and every just time silliness. I just hope that like the person next to me is not going to interact with me. They're not going to be crazy. Please, They're not going to intrude please, on my space. Just don't talk. There isn't going to be an incident on the plane which nope. will force it to turn around or do something. Because oh gosh, I read these stories and I keep thinking, oh, like I I don't want that to ever happen. It's real simple. I used to say gas everybody on a plane. That's not practical. <laughs> no. Now everybody just gets a twenty five milligram gummy of to pop before they there get on the go. plane, and everybody just giggles and sleeps the whole way to wherever you're going to go. It would make the whole thing very much easier. I mean, I I have found, because as someone who's a frequent flyer, turbulence still bothers me. But if I've had a little bit to drink, I'm much better with it than (laughs) I was Getting drunk on a plane is kind of a, well, it's kind of pretty cool. It's also a tradition, too, that if you fly a lot, you got to pick one trip and just tie one on. And it's interesting because some people apparently get very belligerent when they get drunk, obviously. (laughs) I'm the opposite. I mellow out and I'm just, yeah. Hey, we're all in this tube together. What's right. up, guys? <laughs> but but back to the weather. It was 97 degrees when the sun came up in Phoenix today, I saw. Wow. I, I, I'm the opposite of you. I hate summer. I okay. hate being hot. <laughs> if it's over 85 degrees, I do not go out of the house. This summer has been brutal in Kansas City. The humidity this summer has just been The humidity awful. has been very bad. Every yeah. time you step outside, you just burst into sweating. Even on the days where it's been like mid to high 80s it hasn't been 90s the humidity has still been so bad there was one evening i waited till late in the evening to walk my dog because it yeah. was like 84 i'm like oh it's not gonna be that bad and it was but it was the humidity was so awful i'm like yeah. this is brutal i have, I have to pick our dog up oh, okay. our dog's like 13 years old and he'll just look at me he'll get halfway through like the no walk. i'm not doing this we get by the mormon church that has some big trees and he'll just lay down and spread like all four of his legs out and just gonna be like i'm not moving you I'm can done. drag me if you want and you just pick him up gary him because it's just so freaking hot and yeah. humid. The worst problems that humans have issues dealing with, the worst thing for humans is slow-moving tragedies. Yeah. We, just, we just don't know how 
to deal with this. It's obvious the earth is heating. Remember when Jason, I think last year, sent us that um, that article that a whole river in France just evaporated. It's just, it's just right. gone. This river had been around for like 3,500 years. We're just not going to acknowledge any of this because I don't think there's any real – what can we do about it? Well, and there's been all these articles about um, uh, tours to Antarctica and the cruise ships going to Antarctica. Yeah. Because – uh, not too long ago, I mean, you go back five or six years ago, there would only be a couple thousand of people that would visit Antarctica per year. Now there's over 100,000 that visit every year. And partially, like, it's almost, they call that uh, doomsday tourism. Like, people yeah, want to see, see Antarctica before it's gone. And it's easier to go see it now because it's warmer and the ice is melting. So you get to, like, get closer to it than you would. And so that's the the, the kind of dark dichotomy of all this is that, all of the humans visiting it are hastening its yeah. destruction, essentially. I mean, yes, it's obvious the climate's changing on the planet. It's obvious that right now we need a big solution to do anything about it, and we're just not going to do yeah. it. We're just not going to do it. Yeah, we just there's no not the wherewithal. And no. It's, it's not and I'm happen. sorry, but I heard something that the Biden White House is talking about. How could you change the atmosphere so less sun gets to the earth? Boy, that sounds stupid dumb and potentially devastating i was gonna say i don't think you want to mess with that that's probably something are we at the point now we have to throw a hail mary to change the atmosphere that doesn't sound good what i can imagine something going terribly wrong and then like we have the opposite problem and we're in like an ice age which has happened on the earth totally screwing the pooch like you know like i think i think there's plenty of other like solutions to reduce obviously carbon footprints and change like how our transportation modes i mean there's a lot more than we can do obviously than what we're actually doing now do you remember i think it was years back there was this big initiative that bill gates was rolling out about controlling the weather he was going to pump in like billions of dollars yeah like having to do with like clouds i don't remember because every conspiracy theory is, I've told you Gates has controlled the weather for years. Here he is admitting this. Look what he's going to do. Even if somebody had an idea like that. It was something to do with cloud cover. But yeah, yeah there was no actually like solution. It was all speculative no. at the time. But that's what the conspiracy theorists I don't think you're going to get a lot of people to say, yeah, let's, let's give that a shot. Yeah. Brandon, do you look at TikTok? I, people send me TikToks and I'll um, check them out and obviously watch them, but I'm not on TikTok. So have you ever heard of Pinky Doll on TikTok? I have not, no. <laughs> I, I can't describe this. Just the next time you open up TikTok, just okay. put in Pinky Doll as Pinky your doll. search okay. and then watch this and then text me what you think it is. Okay. <laughs> this is a young woman who makes money on TikTok by sounding out emojis that are sent to her. That's literally all she does? I think so. Okay. She's called an NPC, a non-playing character. This is something that... Okay. This is interesting learning. I'm asking (laughs) you this because this is one of my moments that every person as they age says, this represents the collapse of the youth in Western civilization. The fact that this young woman gets on TikTok and just says like gang gang and ice cream and stuff and gets paid for it through tiktok but why like what what is the i don't know why do you, why do people consume this I, what's I the benefit know. or the so value there's obviously a sexual element to it well, because yeah. it's a young woman so i'm assuming most of these are men right and the kink is look i'm making her do things by sending these to her i, I guess it's part of it the I, voice I thing know. like what you know the food thing the... she has a baby voice so okay. that's part of it too but this is just one of these things i looked at and said 
There is somebody, some young woman is looking at this, thinking this is an actual career path, Mm. that this is how they could actually make money by doing something like this. Uh, uh, Yeah, that's mind-boggling. All social media influencers should just be forced to move to Phoenix. (laughs) Just do it in 110 to 15 degree heat, whatever you're doing. Yeah, and I just, I I have a general, I mean, there's some influencers I like, but overall I have a general disdain for social media influencers because I think that... (sighs) I mean, they're hyped up. They have this just inflated opinion of themselves. And, and you're in your middle-ish 30s, right? Yeah, yeah. So what what entertainment is for you, Brandon? I mean, it seems like maybe you're in this ghost area yeah, where much. all the young stuff, you, that, that doesn't. And you're not old enough for old people's stuff right. yet. What's actually targeted for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm an older millennial. So I yeah. don't know. I'm still, like, I'm still on YouTube, like, watching, like... YouTube clips and and things like that. I'm still on the older social media, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> Facebook and Twitter. So it's, it's tough. Cause I don't know. I, but I think you're right. I think that like my generation, particularly older millennials are kind of at a point where they're like left out of it. Yeah. And we were the ones who were considered the adapters, right? Because we started with analog media and yeah. then when we were coming of age, everything turned digital. So we adapted. Whereas you have the kids now, Gen Z that have come of age with digital and that's all they know, but we were the bridge right yeah. between analog and digital. So we can kind of go. The thing about my generation has always been talked about is we can communicate um, with coworkers that are generations removed from True. us, older yeah. than us, as well as younger. And we can be build those bridges. But yeah, we're kind of just like left in the middle there. I don't know. Are you going to go see Barbie and Oppenheimer on the same day? Are I'm not going to go see, see them first? together. I am seeing Oppenheimer first. Okay. Um, and then I, I, I probably, I mean, I have an AMC pass so I can go see as many movies yeah. as I like. So I'll probably see Barbie just because I'm curious about the the meta aspect of it because it's supposed to be very... Uh, um, different in terms of like not just a toy movie but also like self introspective and yeah. critique you know the whole thing i i want to go see barbie not not for the the movie doesn't interest me yeah. at all but greta gerwing who put this movie together is an oscar winner oh, yeah, maybe we've talked director, about it yeah. she is a great director and a great storyteller this was the only thing available to her i just want to see what, what does somebody of that caliber yeah. when forced to deal with this material what did they what did they come up with yeah and oppenheimer i'll go see oppenheimer first off i have an aversion to a three-hour movie but i heard today that so he shot this christopher nolan who made oppenheimer shot this in 70 millimeter imax that's its yeah. preferred format brandon there are 19 theaters <laughs> in the united states right that show 70 millimeter IMAX. I'm sure this is a great movie, but this also sounded like a little bit of a masturbatory exercise for Christopher Nolan. Probably. I mean, in way to get extra exposure for the film and kind of stand out. But yeah. Do we even have one in Kansas City that shows? I was going to say, I think the closest is Omaha. I think Omaha actually. Okay. Omaha would be the closest. I saw one in Detroit. But yeah, you would have to make a trip to go see this film in the 70 millimeter IMAX. I don't exactly know what 70 millimeter IMAX gets you either. So. Yeah, I had just planned to see it either on IMAX or on the Dolby screen at AMC, yeah. which is their large. Yeah, which know. it still shows. Yeah. I think, too, the the IMAX, the max movie, there's a max movie length you can make in IMAX because you're shooting it on physical film, right. which has to go into, spooled into a canister, which has to fit into the projector. So this is butting up against what the... The limits of what that format, Matt, can do. I like Christopher Nolan movies. I might yeah, he's a great director. I mean, I really, 
uh, was a big fan of the Dark Knight trilogy when yeah. he took the helm on that. Yeah. And I like the darker undertones behind it. You doing any uh, second half of summer travel coming up? Um, I am. Um, so I'm doing a European trip a little nice. bit later in the summer. Nice. So um, you do that consistently, go to Europe, don't you? Yeah. So I went last year, but it was May. So this year it's going to be um, September, basically okay. first uh, 10 days of September, going to Poland and Czech Republic and uh, may tack on something. You're going to be right the, next to the, the Russian border there. I am. And I've got, yeah, I, it makes don't me a do little do what that Arby guy did and get crazy and run over into North no, Korea. No. Yeah. Talk about like, oh, that's another story that I was just. I think he was, he's in the middle of a mental I think breakdown. So too. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, he kind of sounds like a hothead too. I mean, he's what, 22, 23. I, I don't know, but. He had already been like jailed in South Korea, yes. assault charges. He was yeah. being court-martialed. And I think. So, yeah, probably some of it was mental illness, because if he really thought he was going to get a better outcome, like fleeing into North Korea, no, of all places, no. like, what the heck? <laughs> and I don't, I don't, he, he's an African-American gentleman. Yeah. You're going to stick out of North Korea like a sore thumb. Oh, what, yeah. What did you think was going to happen Well, and look here? at what they did to Otto Warmbier. Look at how he came back in a And apparently a he broke away from state. people to sprint. Yes. Over, I mean, he did And he was laughing, completely too. Completely on purpose. He was so. laughing. So, yeah, he, I, what was it? Because didn't he flee from, like, his military escort or something? And then he joined that tour group. And then like, ran from the tour group or something. To the, across yeah, the border, he, yeah. He, I, the guy has definitely mental problems. I don't think North Korea cares. They're probably just going to keep him. Yeah. Until he dies and they give him back like they right. did with Arthur Lombard. And now he gets to see what life is hey. like in one of the most there you you have know, forsaken countries on earth. You got a story to tell that very few people can tell? <laughs> but not really a platform to tell that story. No, so. not really. <laughs> That's our hour. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for listening to Two Men in the Middle. Make sure to give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our website at twomeninthemiddle.com. Drop us an email at twomeninthemiddle at gmail.com or tweet at us at Two Men in the Middle. We'll see you next week.